Morning, everybody. Always good to see our church together in one place and uh, outside. I know some of you love the outside service. Other of you are making a sacrifice to be here during our outside service. And some of you are visiting thinking, what in the world is this church? When they could meet in a perfectly cool temperature inside. And what are they doing outside? It's good to see all of you and uh, to celebrate uh, God and his goodness outside. We, we do this uh, annually to celebrate fall. It is also uh, a good time for us to commemorate the fact that as a church just not too long ago, we were outside here for eight months. If you remember that, say amen. And God was good to us then, and he remains good to us now. It is a good memorial for us to be here. And also, this is a time that uh, reminds me of one of the great festivals of the nation of Israel. It was called the Festival of Tabernacles, or you might know it as Festival of Booths. And what happened was, after their most important day of the year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, they would have this long celebration, and they would end by having this, this festival where all the Israelites would come into Jerusalem and they would construct tents. And for a whole week, they would live in these tents outside. And that commemorated the time when they spent in the wilderness for 40 years as God provided. And it was fall. And so they were celebrating the ingathering of the harvest. And it was just a great celebration. And of course, what, what Israel didn't know is that when they gathered for that week and they celebrated the ingathering of the fall and they celebrated God's redemption for them, that it also reminded them of what was to come because there will be a future ingathering when Christ returns from heaven and, and he won't be gathering a wheat harvest or a barley harvest, but he will be gathering people from all over the world. And I love the fact that our church represents so many different nations that we represent that great ingathering that is to come. All right, now we're outside. And so my, my most important illustration for you today is going to be to look up. So I want you to do that. Look up. And what do you see? You see sky and you see clouds. But here is the problem that you can't see what's beyond that because what is beyond that is what's most important. When you look up, you see a beautiful blue sky, you see some clouds, some of these clouds you're hoping will shade you for a minute, but you can't see above that. Because my friends, above these clouds and above the blue sky and above the stars and the heavens lays our promise as believers. And what I want you to consider today is, do you prefer the things that are below the clouds or do you prefer the things that are above them? Do you prefer the promise of what is to come or are you still too focused on the things on this earth? Israel chose the earth. They chose the things of this earth. And because of that, they had an agreement with God that failed. And so God had to make a new agreement that would happen when he sent his son. And that's what we're going to think about uh, this morning in Hebrews chapter eight. So find Hebrews eight, find Hebrews eight. 
Grab your Bibles, your phones. Hebrews 8. Raise your hand when you're there so I can see all over the place that you have found God's Word this morning. Raise your hands. All right, now we're good to go. Hebrews chapter 8. I do want us to consider if you believe that the promises that we have in Christ are better than the things this world offers. And I want us to consider who Jesus is today in a new way, in a deeper way. Because Jesus is our high priest, and Jesus has established with us a new covenant with God's people. And this new covenant is backed by divine power, it is backed by divine knowledge, and it is backed by forever forgiveness of our sins. So let's dig in. And let's see how Christ is, is both a better leader and, and he is the one who brings into us a better promise. This is Christ who came to serve. Now, the main point, I'm in Hebrews 8 verse 1, the main point of what is being said is this. We have this kind of high priest. Now, you have to go back to Hebrews 7 if you've been studying with us, and you know in Hebrews 7, Jesus is compared to Aaron and his sons, and the comparison is they're the lesser, Jesus is the greater. Aaron failed, his sons failed to keep the covenant. They failed to provide the redemption that Israel needed. And so we need a better high priest, but we can't have one that comes from Israel. We have to have one that comes from God and the kind of high priest we need, if you look at verse one again, that word kind, the kind of high priest we need is someone like Melchizedek, that interesting fella who was both a priest and a king. That's the kind of priest that we need. Melchizedek, who had no beginning and no ending. We need that kind of high priest because that kind of high priest might be able to keep the promise that God has made to his people. And that's what you need, friends. You need someone who will guarantee the promise that that which is above the sky that you can't see is better. You need someone who will keep that promise. Now, the main point then is this. We have that person, and it's Jesus Christ. He is the one, at the end of verse 1, who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. That's the kind of high priests that we need. Jesus Christ, he, like Melchizedek, he had no beginning. He has no ending. He came down from the greater tabernacle of heaven down to this earth, and he tabernacled for us. He literally became flesh. The Son of God took on flesh for us. And we were able then, as John the Apostle said, to behold him. And in doing so, we beheld the glory of God. This high priest died on a cross. He was buried. He rose again. And then he went back to heaven, to the very same place where he had been ruling over his creation. 
And the Bible uses this interesting language because I want you to notice this at the end of verse one. What is it that Jesus did? What does it say? He did what? He sat down. What does that mean? He sat down. Well, you have to imagine the high priest. I, I was talking with someone I hadn't seen him in a long time and so good to see uh, my brother. And he said, I've been working seven days a week, nonstop. He had an opportunity to come to church today. What a blessing. Well, that's the work of the priests, the priesthood. Every day, every day, every day. You, 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 you take the animals, you slay the animals, you pour out the blood, you offer the sacrifices. You never stop. It never ends. You never sit down because the work continues. The continual work of trying to figure out how you can be forgiven and how your sins can be covered every day, all day long. And Jesus he goes to heaven and he sits down. What does that mean? It means, my friends, the work is done. You see, a lot happened when Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. The work is done. And so now, because the work has been accomplished, what is the work? Your redemption, the payment of your sins, everything that you need in order for God now to fulfill his promise to us has been accomplished by Jesus. And so he goes back to the highest place of authority at the very throne room of God, that place that you cannot see. He's there and he is seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning over his kingdom. He's there. And he then is so much greater than Aaron or his sons, verse 3. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it was necessary for this high priest, talking about Jesus, also to have something to offer. Aaron and his sons had to offer the blood of goats and bulls. Jesus offered himself his own shed blood, verse 4. Now, if we were on earth, he would not be a priest because Jesus wasn't a Levite. He didn't come from Aaron. He would not be allowed to be a Levitical priest for Israel. But that actually is necessary in order for us to have a better covenant. He had to come from a different tribe. He came from the tribe of Judah. He came in the likeness of Melchizedek. So it is a good thing that he would not be allowed to be a priest on this earth because his priestly reign isn't accomplished on this earth, you see. Since there are those offering the gifts prescribed by the law, now, verse 5, these serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. What does that mean? So you take the Old Testament, and you know that uh, God gave Moses the law, and, and in the law were chapters and chapters of descriptions of what the tabernacle should be, how it should be constructed, all the furnishing, all the coverings, all of the things inside the holy place and the most holy place. Everything had to be according to exact detail. And the reason is because everything about the tabernacle was an image, a copy of something greater, heaven itself, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So in great detail, you see, verse 5, 
Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle for God said, be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. So God said, Moses, I need for you to construct this tabernacle exactly according to this description, because I need for there to be something on earth to be a picture of that which is greater in heaven. It's right there. You just can't see it. It's, it's, it's not a dream. It's not a myth. The greater is simply just above the clouds. You just can't see it now. And so on earth, all we can do is have a copy. All we can do is, is have a type. And, and yet Moses provided that the tabernacle became this beautiful copy of that which is greater. Verse 6. But Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry. Superior than what? Than Aaron's. Superior to, to, to anything that, that the Old Testament could offer. So, so Aaron, he, he serves in the tabernacle, but that tabernacle was built by man. And that tent was temporary, sort of like us being outside today. It's just something we do temporarily. Where Jesus serves in the heavenly temple built by God and his, his is eternal. Aaron and his sons had to offer the blood of goats and bulls as sacrifices day in and day out. But Jesus offered himself and his perfect blood to provide our forever forgiveness from our sins. So the tabernacle and the Levitical priesthood just, just simply types of greater things. You see, verse 6 says, now Jesus has obtained a superior ministry, far greater, far greater. And to that degree, he is the mediator of a better covenant. So the Old Testament describes the Old Covenant. The New Testament is the better covenant. And we need to understand what that means because this covenant that you and I enjoy, if we are in Christ, it is backed by such better promises. And, and so, okay, Moses and Aaron, they did their best. They were faulty men. Israel was a faulty nation. They could never get rid of their sin. And yet all of that simply foreshadowed that which would come that would be so much greater. And even though God had promised the nation of Israel, I want to be your God. I want you to be my children. Israel didn't want that relationship. They didn't want the better. They chose idols and earthly kings. They just didn't want the better. Even though God promised covenant blessings, he said, I want you to be my people. I will multiply your nation. I will protect you. I will preserve you. I will give you possessions. All of these covenant promises that we learn as we've been studying the Old Testament, Israel turned their back on that. But friends, we cannot turn our back on this. We've got to see beyond the clouds. We've got to see that which is better. Israel chose the lesser, the worship of idols and earthly things and earthly kings. They failed to make God their sole object of worship and they failed to love him and to love each other. It's sort of like a show I, I grew up watching. I think it might still be on. I don't know. It's called Let's Make a Deal. Raise your hand if you, if you watch Let's Make a Deal. That was a great show growing up. 
So they had this, 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 uh, you know, the, the commentator and, and they had all these contestants and they all dressed up in wacky costumes. And then, and they would, he would choose one of the, the contestants and then he would come up with, with, uh, something small, like, uh, an envelope or a little pile of money. And then he would say, okay, here's the thing. You, you can choose to keep this. Let's say he gave him several hundred bucks and you can choose to keep this, or you can give me that for what's behind the curtain. And then the contestant had to make the choice, right? Do I, do I keep what I see? Do I keep this, this money or do I risk it? And, and I choose what's behind the curtain. And then, you know, as a kid, I always loved it when, when, you know, they chose what's behind the curtain. It was some elaborate, you know, new car or some elaborate thing. Hey, they, they had made the right choice. And sometimes it was like a chicken or something. It was a bad choice. But, but, uh, but the host always gave them the choice. And, and it was kind of sad when they, they, they chose the money as opposed to what was behind the curtain, if what was behind the curtain was greater. But the very same thing happens today. This beautiful sky is our curtain. And, and the fact of the matter is, I don't know why you're here today sitting outside with my church. The fact of the matter is, you got to make a decision if that's what you want. You got to make a decision if you want what's behind the curtain or if you want what this world offers. It's as simple as that. And living in this country, you actually can obtain a lot in this world if you want. If that's what you choose. You can go for what's here. I mean, it's safer, right? Less risk. Or you can say, I, I want what's there. I want, I want what's there. And the choice is yours. And I, and I think, unfortunately, and I, and I see this all the time, is people will say, well, I, I choose this. I, I want the money. I want the things. I choose the idol in the box rather than what's beyond the curtain. I choose, I choose this life as opposed to what is being stored up for us in heaven. And if you do that, my friends, I just have to be honest, you're an Israelite because that's what they chose. They chose the earth. They chose the idols, the desires of this life. They chose to place themselves under earthly kings. They did not choose Melchizedek. The promise that was made through Moses, okay, you can enter Canaan, your promised land. But my friend, the promise that has been made by Jesus to his church is heaven. That's our promised land. And if we could only see behind the curtain, if we could only catch a glimpse like Paul and be exposed to the radiant glory, the majesty of heaven, where our Savior is, I know we would think different. This is where God wants us to express faith. Do you really think that what's beyond what you can see today is better? Is it better? 
Because our, our agreement now for, from God is this. This is God's agreement to you. Not this life, not this world. The next life, which is a forever life, and the next world, which is a forever world. That's God's agreement. He's saying, would you deny all of this to have what I'm preparing for you? And, and that, my friends, is what we call God's promise or God's covenant. And, and, and we call it the new covenant because there was a former covenant that God made with Israel that has failed. So this is the new covenant promise. And basically, um, this new covenant promise is exactly what Robert read. Because as Israel continued to fail in keeping its, its responsibilities, its commitment to God, eventually God sent prophets and said, come on, Israel, come on. You know there's something better. You need to repent of your sins. God will forgive. God will redeem. He's made that promise to you, but they didn't. They, they just didn't. And so finally, God began to send prophets uh, like Jeremiah and like Ezekiel. And they began to say, okay, God's going to do away with this failed covenant. And he's going to bring us something different and something better. And, and the promise of that new covenant, as Jeremiah speaks about it, now the author of Hebrews is going to bring it into the New Testament has all the promises that God has for us. Because verse 7, if, if that first covenant had been faultless, there wouldn't be a need for a second. So the story of the Old Testament is just Israel failed. They failed to keep the promise. They failed to keep the covenant. And so God had to make a new one. And that begins with the Gospels when Jesus comes down to earth. For finding fault with his people, verse 8, he says, and now just simply quoting from Jeremiah, see the days are coming. Jeremiah said, this is going to be in the future when the Messiah comes, when I will make a new covenant, a new promise, a new agreement. But now here's the thing. The new promise has to be greater than the old. Otherwise, why have a new one? And the new promise, there's got to be a better guarantee than the old because the old guarantee didn't work. So he's going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their ancestors on the day I, I took them by the hand and led them out uh, of the land of Egypt. God redeemed Israel from Egypt, but they failed to keep their covenant commitments. They did not continue in the covenant, verse 9, verse 10. Now for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Now Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they're looking ahead. And, and what do they see? Something dramatic happens. I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. So now God is saying, okay, when I gave the old covenant to Moses, I wrote it down on stone tablets and, and, and then we had the entire law and it was external. It didn't work. Because even though that was true and the promise God made was true, it, it could not get inside their hearts because their hearts were stone, cold, and hardened. And, and they just couldn't receive the truth. And so God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to write my covenant inside of them. I'm going to write it on their minds. I'm going to write it in their hearts. And that is the, the promise of the Holy Spirit who, when 
a person, you know, comes to faith, it is because the Spirit of God, he in, enters into them, he changes them, he changes their heart. And now they are able to see and believe, they're able to know and believe, their hearts are changed. And God just writes the covenant inside of them. It's not external, it's internal. And, 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 and now, verse 11, each person will not teach his fellow citizen and each brother or sister saying, hey, you, you need to know the Lord. It's not like that. Every single person that's a part of this new covenant, we know God. And we are known by God. I know him. He lives within me. He has written his law on my heart. It is in my head. I know God and I am known by God. That's the new covenant. Israel did not have that opportunity, but you have it, you see. You have it. And, and, and because of that, God's great desire, which has always been to have a people, now will be fulfilled. Because here, here's the thing. If you go back to Israel, in the book of Exodus, God makes this, this promise to Israel. He says, okay, look, I want to be your God. I want to have a relationship with you. I want for you to be my people. That's it. It's just, that's just a relationship God wants with you. I want to be your God. I want you to be my child. I want you to be my people. And he said that, Exodus 6. He reiterated that, Leviticus 26. I will be your God. You'll be my people. But, but Israel said, no, I don't want that God. I don't want what's beyond the curtain. I just want what's here and now. I'll take the idols. I'll take the stuff. Give us an earthly king like Saul. I'll just take that. I don't, I don't want you. I don't want to risk it. And so, yes, the promise was, I'll be your God. You'll be my people. They said, I don't want you to be our God. That's basically what they said. But God did not give up. So now with Ezekiel, he says, you know what? I'm going to have a people. I'm going to guarantee that I have a people. And so the prophet Ezekiel says, God now saying a new covenant is coming and I'm going to infuse my spirit. I'm going to join my spirit into the person that I save and that I forgive. They will know me. They will believe in me. They will be mine. Then I will be their God and they will be my people. And, and the reason why... I want to guarantee that for you is because that statement is found at the very end of the Bible in Revelation 21. Because listen, friends, everyone who decides I want what's behind the curtain and they end up in heaven forever, this is what we're going to hear. Revelation 21 and 3. And they will be God's people and God will be with them and he will be their God. It's a better promise. It's a better covenant because we have a better mediator, a better high priest, better than Moses, better than Aaron in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not any better than an Israelite, but the Holy Spirit makes me better because he infuses God's word into my heart. He has changed me so now I can know and be known. That's the new covenant. And unlike Israel, where you would have to continually offer the blood of goats and bulls day after day after day after day, we don't have to do that anymore. 
because Jesus, our high priest, is seated at the right hand of God, and he made the ultimate offering once and for all. No more blood has to be shed because of him. And one last thing. Back in the Old Covenant, there was never a guarantee of forgiveness. But now there is. Now, Hebrews 8, verse 12 is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. I just, I just want us to soak this in before we end our, our worship today. This is the promise. God says, for I will forgive their wrongdoing. And I will never again remember their sins. I will never again remember their sins. Right now, that's impossible for you. It's really difficult for you not to remember your sins or the sins people committed against you. It's really difficult. And, and just to be honest, this whole idea of forgiveness is very complex and it is one of the most understood things. What does it really mean to forgive and be forgiven? I mean, it's easy to say to someone, I forgive you. It's much harder to choose not to remember the offense against you, right? It's easy to say, forgive me without really coming to a place of repentance where you understand the wrong that you've done and your heart is broken over it and you want to change. It's just easy. I mean, to be honest, I think most Christians treat forgiveness like going to the ATM, put in the card, hit the buttons, get my money. That's the transaction. Hey, God, I'm sorry. I confess. Okay, thank you for forgiving me. It's just like Venmo, just too easy. Hey, pay me some money. Sure, no problem. Da, da, da. Here's your money. That's not forgiveness. That's not even close to forgiveness. Forgiveness is when someone who has sinned against a holy God knows it, and their heart is broken over it, and they appeal to God through confession, and they plead with God for his forgiveness and mercy. And by God's grace, he forgives because he loves. And when God sees the heart that desires real forgiveness, God, he takes that sin, is nailed to the cross, the blood of his only begotten pays for it, and then God leaves it there. He leaves it there, never to be remembered again. You can say, I, I, you know, I, I, I can forgive. I can never forget, but I can forgive. That's, that's not how God does it. It's not how God does it. When God forgives you, he places your sin behind his back. He doesn't keep it on the tip of his tongue so that at any point in time, he can say, aha, there you go again. Aha, there you go again. Oh, there you go again. That's not how God forgives. No, as far as the east as from, is from the west, that's how far the mercy and the grace of God are. The distance between our sin 
and our forgiveness. It's that great. And unfortunately, I, what I see too often are Christians who carry around unforgiveness like garbage. They can't let it go. They just can't let it go. And, and it, it, the longer you carry around the garbage, the stinkier it gets and the worse it becomes. And this is your life. Oh, I'm a Christian. Well, what's that behind you? It's just my garbage. It's my baggage. It's my unforgiveness. I can't let it go. I can't let it go. That's not how God has forgiven you. When God forgives, he forgives forever. And that's what makes heaven, heaven. And that's why, that's why I want you to choose what is beyond the curtain of the sky. I want you with me to live in that place where our sins will never, ever, ever be remembered. Because with that type of forgiveness, there is freedom. And my friends, freedom from God is what the new covenant is all about. Can you say amen? And if you don't have that, if you don't have that, would you consider today of taking some time and going straight to God and saying, I believe. I believe that Jesus is greater. I believe that my sins can be forgiven. And I'm repenting from them. I'm turning from them. I'm asking God for you to save me right now because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. I believe that. I want that. I want forgiveness. I want a new relationship with you. And my promise is, I don't live for the things of this world anymore. Now I live for that which I cannot see. I know there's a risk there. And I struggled in my life to make that commitment. But I'm telling you, when I made it, best decision I ever made. Amen? Best decision I ever made. Because the new covenant is so much greater. The promise of inward power, because the very Spirit of God indwells in us. The new covenant promises intimate knowledge. Now the Word of God is also written in our hearts in our heads. The new covenant promises is everlasting. We have everlasting forgiveness because of Jesus who is alive and he is the mediator between us and God. It offers an eternal relationship and all of that, all of that is empowered by God's spirit through his word and through the church. So now let me end just by asking you some questions. If, if you want what's behind the curtain, above the beautiful sky and these beautiful clouds today, if you want what's up there, you can't see it. It is an act of faith. Will you choose that today? But then what does that mean now? At Open Door, we, we have what we call member expectations. It's just things we agree upon. Just like God has made an agreement with us in the New Covenant, we, we also make an agreement with one another. And it's a wonderful day since all our churches gathered here for us just to recommit ourselves that we will live out these new covenant obligations together. Will you commit to gather regularly with us so that every Sunday we can join together as a family and celebrate Jesus who is our great high priest, the one like Melchizedek, the one that will never fail us. I mean, will you serve diligently here 
Will you take some of that precious time that you have and say, I'm going to use my time, make it God's time, and I'm going to serve my church. I want my church to fulfill its mission. I'm going to serve. I want to be a part of that. Will you love sacrificially? I mean, if you want to know, look around. There's hundreds and hundreds of people for you to love. This is our family. Let's love one another. And then let's love the lost. Let's love them with the love that we have been shown so that they can see God in us. Will you give generously? I mean, honestly, one of the big, uh, I think, tests in our lives, in our culture, is whether or not we believe that which is beyond the curtain is greater is how, hold, how strongly you hold on your money. I'm challenged by that. What is my grip on my money? And am I willing to give generously and sacrificially because I want that? I don't want the envelope of money. I want what's behind the curtain. I want that. And so I give. I give because I'm not stacking up treasures here. I am giving so that I might obtain the treasure that awaits me. And then finally, will you live missionally? Will you live missionally? I mean, it's wonderful to see so many people out on the lawn today, but there are thousands and tens of thousands of people in our community who are lost. They don't know that their sins can be forgiven. They don't know that there's something better, that there's something greater. And we have the opportunity to tell them and to show them. So as we live on mission, let's just pray that God will use us and connect us with others so that they might find the treasure of the gospel and become a part of the new covenant as we are. Father, thank you for such a beautiful day for us to gather outside. Thank you for the fellowship that we'll enjoy here in a minute as we eat. But Father, more importantly, thank you for what's beyond the skies. Thank you that just beyond these clouds, there is something so much better and greater. I pray my brothers and sisters will choose that and then live in light of that. In Jesus' name, amen.